after the uh, false teachers that uh, were troubling them, but they needed to remember to follow after the apostles uh, because they had previously spoken about things that were going to be happening, and so they should not allow that to shake their faith. Verse 18, where we spent time last Wednesday night, he said, They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. We talked about that in great detail last time and talked about the scoffers and how that that is a word which has to do with the false teachers and the idea that they have of, uh, of in essence, making fun of, if you will, the, uh, the truth and, and godliness and all of those kinds of things. But um, he said that they would follow their own ungodly passions. And, and again, we don't want to rehash that. But then verse number 19 referring to these same ones that he calls scoffers back in verse 18. He said, It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Now, we want to take time tonight to break that passage down and think about it and think about what Jude is writing about here. Notice that he said, and we mentioned this at the end of our lesson last week, it is these who cause divisions. These who cause divisions. You know, when we think about a division, if we were just thinking about it from the English standpoint, there's basically one word that we have for division. Now, now we, we look at some other things along the way, but, but, but we have that one word that we, that we think of. But in Scripture, there are at least four words that are translated division. And they're interesting, and I want us to take a look at them tonight very briefly, and, and we'll see uh, what the Bible has to say in regard to that. The first word that we'll note is found in the book of Romans chapter 16, verse number 17. Romans chapter 16, verse number 17. Okay? Paul writes there and says this. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. And then he ends that passage by saying, avoid them. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's these that, uh, that one of the things that we need to take note of is, is uh, avoiding them, or uh, I think contextually we could understand that uh, church discipline, the ultimate form, is to be practiced in this regard. But the word translated division here, and I'm not going to pronounce the Greek words, that doesn't mean anything to us, but uh, it means disunion, division, or sedition. Okay? Sedition. It's also used in Galatians chapter 5, in verses 19 through 21, there's a, a part where that word is used. Okay? And, and incidentally, as we look here, we're going to, we're going to see uh, that... A contrast between two of the words that are used sometimes translated division. But, but look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, uh, talking about the works of the flesh. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions dissensions. And so 
here is our word which, which, which has to do with a disunion or a sedition or, or a dissension. You know, it's not necessarily that there's an actual split necessarily. That's not what, he, uh, not, not what this word means when he's talking about a division, but, but there are disagreements. There are, uh, uh, you know, you've got the, the division of minds, if you will, not necessarily of physical uh, bodies or whatever. And so you've got the word translated divisions in Romans 16, verse 17, but translated dissensions in uh, Galatians chapter 5 at verse number 20. But I want you to, if you don't have your Bible open there, go ahead and look back at Galatians chapter 5 and look at verse number 20 because we're going to find the second word that's translated divisions. Matter of fact, just looking at that again, he says idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions. That's the, the previous word. But what's the next word in Galatians 5 verse 20? Divisions. Division, English Standard, the translation is actually division. Okay, and so you've got dissensions, but you've got something distinguished from that, translated divisions. And this word has to do with a, a party, not a, not a party where you would go and have a birthday cake and those kind of things, but we understand a a party such as Democratic Party, Republican Party, uh, those, kind of, those kind of things. Or, or in that day, it would be like the Sadducees and the Pharisees and so forth. Uh, that's, the, that's the kind of division that this word represents. Now let's look at three passages where the word is used. Turn to Acts chapter 5 at verse number 17. Acts chapter 5, verse number 17. Somebody, I'm doing the reading tonight, and I don't want y'all to go to sleep, so I want somebody else to read for me. Okay, Galatians 5, or rather Acts 5, verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. All right. Uh, you reading from the King James? Yes. Okay. Which is the sect of the Sadducees. English Standard says the party of the Sadducees. Okay. Same word that's used back in the book of Galatians chapter 5 at verse number 20. Uh, but it, uh, you notice that it specifically has to do with one of the, one of the if you will, the divisions of, uh, uh, of the parties, of the sects, of the of the different ones in Jesus' day. Uh, look at uh, uh, Acts 26, verse 5. Acts 26, at verse 5. And again, whoever gets there, go ahead. Take that one on for us. All right, that's Paul talking, is it not? in this particular passage. And Paul says, if they knew me, they've known for a long time who I was, who I used to be, okay? And what did he used to be? He was a member of the Pharisees. He is a member. And so we've got the party or the sect of the Sadducees. We've got the party of the, or the sect of the, the Pharisees that are mentioned. In Acts chapter 28, verse 22 Notice again, Acts chapter 28, verse 22. 
how that word is used. Interesting here. What is, the, what is that sect that is being spoken about here in Acts chapter 28, verse 22? Or at least the way it's described here by some who are not a part of it. The church, right. And so many of those in the Gentile world thought what? Well, you've got the Sadducees, you've got the Pharisees, and then you've got the Christians. And so you just got another one of the divisions, another one of the parties, another one of the, the sects. And, and so, just interesting that that word is used here in regard to the church. But it's a second word that has to do, that, that sometimes is translated division. Okay, Look at a third word. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse number 10. So we've got the, the word for division, the first one, which means disunion or sedition. We've got the, one, the second one, which means a party or a sect. Then we've got the third one that we'll note here in 1 Corinthians 1 at verse 10. Okay? Somebody got it? I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. All right, here's a word that uh, translated divisions that we use quite a bit. Okay, we, we look at this passage quite a bit. And, and uh, it's the word, uh, you've probably heard this one, schisma. Schisma, which means literally a split or a gap in something. There's going to be no split or gap uh, within, the, within the church. Okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25, Paul uses that term again, that there may be no division in the body. No division in the body. No schisma, no split, no gap in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Okay? And so, in thinking about the church, the body of Christ, there's to be no splits, no gaps within it. Uh, the, the word that's used here, and so that would, that would be something that would have to do with uh, denominationalism, the splits and the gaps that are between uh, the denominations in our world and so forth. And so uh, Paul says there's to be none of that. But we're studying Jude. And we've been, we've been everywhere else. We're studying Jude, and Jude uses a word which is translated divisions here in verse number 19, and it's not any of these other words, okay? The word that's used here means to disjoin, to separate, literally to draw a boundary around, to draw a boundary around, okay? Now, let me just read for sake of emphasis tonight. Let me just read... A, a part of a paragraph out of the Gospel Advocate Commentary. He, there's a, a good little section there on this passage uh, uh, that, uh, that, that helps us to understand. It designates one who draws a line through the church and sets one part over against another. 
It is a vivid and impressive picture of the actions of church dividers, factionists, troublers of the people of God. Some ancient versions render the phrase, these are makers of sects, and Luther translated it, makers of factions. These are those who cause, they, 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 they draw little circles, if you will, around, around groups. You know, when I think about this word, there's a phrase that comes to my mind. And if you think about it in the context of what Jude is writing, I think it makes sense. Have you ever heard the phrase, divide and conquer? Divide and conquer. What, what are these false teachers trying to do? They're, they're doing what they're doing for gain, for gain for themselves, right? Uh, for prestige or whatever. They're doing it because they want to do basically things their way, their own ungodly way. They're worldly people that we'll note next in verse number 19. And so it's as though they're getting this group pitted against this group within the church. Politicians do it for control. They do. Same thing. These people were doing, doing it for the same reason, I believe. They were dividing so that they could conquer. Okay? And, and so it's these and this kind of division that, that Jude is writing about here. Uh, you, you don't run to someone when, when there are difficulties within the church or, or in any uh, body of uh, people, you know, made up of a group of people for that matter. You don't run and try to get little little groups of people so that you can pit one against the other. Sometimes that happens in the Lord's church because somebody, I'll just use an extreme, an extreme case, somebody wants blue carpet and somebody wants green carpet. And so what happens? The blue carpeters are pitted against the green carpeters and, and so what do you wind up with? Well, you wind up with orange carpet. And so, you know, you, you got all of these. And, but at the same time, there are things that are really important in the Lord's church. Carpet's not all that important, even though it sometimes divides people, but, but doctrinal matters are. And, and if you get this group who says, you know, I think it's okay if we, and you fill in the blank, and you get another group that says, no, I don't think it's okay to do whatever they want to do. And then you get a third group that says, you know, well, I, I just can't decide either way. Uh, I, I just want to stay out of it. You've got now three different groups. And, and if you stir people up that way, you know what you do? You conquer. You'll conquer. In the past 20 years or so, there have been those who have troubled the Lord's church. Maybe even longer than that now, probably closer to 30. Uh, they, they have gone in a direction, you know, trying to push the Lord's church to a more liberal stance. And one of the ways that these folks, one of the tactics that they used is to come into a congregation and divide it against itself. And you know what happened? Splits would eventually occur, but it was divided and conquered. That seems to be what's going on here in the book of Jude. And so these scoffers that are mentioned in verse 18, 
Jude says it's these folks who are causing divisions. Uh, there evidently was division that was happening among the church members that Jude is writing to. Now, do you remember in verse 3 when we started this that Jude said, I wanted to write to you about the common salvation, but it was necessary? There's a problem I've got to address, and I have to address it immediately. What if Jude had not addressed the division problem that was being caused by these folks? Well, the church was in danger, wasn't it? The congregation was in danger of, of splitting asunder, if you will. Because this group was pitted against this group and against this group and all the way around. Jude says, it's these folks, these, these false teachers. It's not the, not the people themselves. It's the false teachers who have led the people into this divided state. You know, there's really a theme that rings true with all of these words that, that are translated division, isn't there? there? There's really a theme that runs through it, and that theme is simply this, division is bad. It's not a good thing. Not a good thing for God's people to be divided. And so, it's these, Jude says, that cause divisions. Now, Notice the next thing that he says in verse 19. He says, they are worldly people. Worldly people. Some of you have the King James translation. Maybe some have the New King James. Possible that somebody might have the American Standard. And there's a different word that's used in those three. Somebody have that, verse 19? Sensual. They're sensual. King James, or English Standard says worldly people. These are sensual, the King James, the New King James, and the American Standard. Now, now what, what is meant by that? Well, these folks are worldly or sensual in the sense that they focus only on their self-interests. They're thinking about man himself, uh, and in particular, themselves. Okay? Now let's look at another passage where this is used. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. I think it'll shed light on the kind of people again that Jude is writing that how at least he's describing him them when he talks about them being worldly people. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. Okay. What kind of person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God? The natural person. Okay? That's our word. Translated natural here. And so what is it that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14? The natural person. The natural person is the one who wants to do things his way rather than doing things God's way. He's, he's just a human being, right? Just a human being. Oh, he's just, he, he's just a man. You know, that's how, that's how men act. Uh, that, that's that's how, how children act. That's just, that's just normal. That's just natural for people to, to be 
argumentative or whatever. The natural person. You know, as God's people, we need to strive to be above the rest of humanity. Now, I, I don't mean that in the sense that, that we look down our nose. That's, that's not what I'm saying. We can't be haughty. But we need to strive to be above them in the sense that we seek to do better, to live better, to be better, to be more like God than like the rest of the world. These people in uh, Jude's case here, they're being like everybody else in the world. They're, They're acting like people out in the world act. They're worldly, sensual People, they're seeking to gain things for themselves, okay? And then he says, number three, it's these who cause divisions, they're worldly people, and that last thing, they are devoid of the Spirit. Devoid of the Spirit. What does he mean? Well, if they're devoid of something, it means that they do not have or do not possess it. That's, that's what the word means. They do not have or they do not possess it. In this case, what do they have, not have? What do they not possess? They, do, they are devoid of the Spirit. What Spirit are they talking about? Somebody? The Holy Spirit is who they're, they're talking about and... Even though in the, in the original language the words are not capitalized, the translators here have tried to help us out by cap, capitalizing the word spirit. Okay? But what, is it, what does it actually mean? Okay? What, what is the point that Jude is making? Go to Acts 6 verse 3. Acts chapter 6 at verse number 3. And you'll remember when you're turning to Acts chapter 6 that... Uh, the church at Jerusalem was undergoing some difficulties because there were uh, some folks who were complaining, the Grecian widows were complaining that they had uh, been neglected in the, in the daily food supplies and things that had been uh, being given out to the Jewish widows and, and those kinds of things. And so there was a solution that was, uh, that was proposed by the apostles. Of course, it's God-given, but... What do they say in Acts chapter 6 at verse 3? Somebody have it? Now look around among yourselves, brothers, and select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will put them in charge of this business. All right, who were these seven men? You don't have to name all seven of them, but name some of them. Stephen was one of them. Who else? Philip was one of them, was he not? Okay, so you've got seven of them, Nicanor and different ones that are, that are mentioned there. Uh, we, you know, it seems to be, doesn't call them deacons, but it seems to be that the, they are fulfilling that, uh, uh, that duty, okay? And, and so one of the things that he says about them is that they are to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, okay? What, what does he mean to be full of the Spirit in that case? Well, they, they had to be, as it were, in the 
first century days had to be guided by the Spirit. Uh, they didn't have the written word like we have, and so they needed some assistance, and that's one of the things here that they needed. But the purpose of the Spirit was to help them understand and to know what was right and what was uh, intended by God in the things that they did. Okay. Now, if it was the case that these men needed to be full of the Spirit so that they would know what was right and what to do, What's the implication of these folks here who are devoid of the Spirit? If, if Stephen and Philip and these other guys were being guided in the first century by the Spirit of God in, in a miraculous way even, if they were being guided in that way, what's the implication of these folks? If they are devoid of that, they don't have the guidance of God They're not speaking the words of God. They're not teaching the truth of God. Okay? They're going their own way. I think I've said that about 10,000 times at least. That's what they're doing. And yet Jude chooses that term, analogy, uh, to express it even again. They're not being led by God. They're not teaching you the truth. They're not saying things that are building up the church. They're teaching you their own ways. Now, look, I mean, there there are several other... uh, Look at Romans 8, verse 4. Romans chapter 8, at verse 4. We'll look at a couple of passages there. Romans chapter 8, at verse 4. What does Paul say about the Christians? In that passage. How do we walk? According to the flesh. Not we're we're to walk not according to the flesh, but but according to the to the spirit. In the way that the spirit uh, describes and teaches us to. Look at Galatians chapter five at verse sixteen. Galatians chapter 5 at verse 16. Tommy, you got that one? So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will never fulfill the desires of the flesh. All right. Live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. English Standard Translation of it. Well, 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 what... What, are the, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? And what does it mean to, to gratify or to walk by the desires of the flesh? Well, Paul makes it pretty clear. Because if you keep reading in verse 19, what do you begin to, to read? Now the works of the flesh are these, and we've already read this passage tonight, among which are dissensions and divisions as well as... Uh, the anger and the sorcery and the enmity and all of those other kinds of things, sexual immorality. But if you keep reading, what do you, what do you run into in verses 22 through 23? Fruit of the Spirit. 
So Paul says Christians don't walk by the flesh. Then he names some of the works of the flesh. But we walk by the Spirit. And so to walk by the Spirit is to do things that promote what? Love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Because against these things there is no law. And so... These folks are devoid of the Spirit. They're teaching them to go completely against what God teaches them to do through His Spirit. That's how, uh, through the Spirit, was the way that we learned God's Word in the first century. If you remember, if you were here Sunday, uh, you know we went briefly through God's chain of, uh, of authority uh, near the end of our sermon that was on your uh, sheet that you filled out. You had authority resting in God the Father, comes through Christ the Son, Holy Spirit to the apostles who wrote it down. And our sole guide today is what? The Word. The Word. And so these folks, they weren't doing that. Okay? Now in contrast to them, notice what the writer says, what Jude says. But you, beloved... Don't be like them, but you, you have to be different. And here's, here's what I want you to do in order to protect yourself, to guard yourself against them and what they're doing. Okay? But you, beloved, that's pretty well self-explanatory. You know, we could go back through and talk about the word beloved again, but we, I think, grasp that. But you, beloved, building yourselves up, in your most holy faith. Let's stop right there for a minute. Building yourselves up. Passage means, the words mean, to build upon, to rear up. To rear up. Sort of like building a building. That's, what he, that's the, the picture that, that is being painted for us here. Okay, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, just for the sake of time tonight, I'll read it. He said, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Okay, what is, uh, what is Paul talking about there? Well, he's talking about the building up of the church, is he not? The growing of, the, uh, of God's people. And so he uses the, the terminology of building upon this. The, uh, God, like a skilled master builder, laid out the plans and, and it's being built. Okay? But there's something very interesting. Something very interesting that's, that's said right here in verse 20. Building yourselves up. Technically speaking, this is a reflexive pronoun. What does that mean? Well, the action of the verb is directed toward its own subject. What does that mean? Mary dressed herself. That's the use of a, uh, of a uh, reflexive pronoun. You want me to make it understandable? Let me see if I can help us. What it literally is teaching us is that the building up was to be done by the individuals themselves. The building up was to be done by the individuals themselves. 
You know what that means? That literally means that sometimes we must take responsibility for ourselves. There are things that I cannot do for you as a preacher. I can't study for you. I can do my best with my limited ability to teach you. But you've got you've to be willing not only to listen, but to, to search and make sure that what I'm teaching you, telling you, is correct. There are things that the, Lord's, the elders of the Lord's church cannot do for you. They can lead you in the right direction. But it's sort of like the, the old saying, you can lead a, a horse to water, but you, you can't make him drink. They can lead us in the right direction, but we have to take responsibility for ourselves. And so if we want to be built up in the most holy faith, the foundation's been laid by the apostles, Paul would say. Foundation is there. We've been given the materials to build with in God's book, right? Now we have the responsibility to take the, take the materials and build the house, build our house. He's talking about us as individuals. Building yourselves up. Now, building yourselves up in what? In your most holy faith. Contextually, a better way of saying that would be building on your most holy faith. You see, what the false teachers were trying to do is they were trying to tear them down. The foundation had been laid... And these Christians were to build themselves up in the faith. Their faith is the foundation on which they would build that great edifice of, for God. Okay? Now, our time is up for tonight. <clears throat> I'll come back. I, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, building ourselves up in the most holy faith. Okay? We'll talk a little bit more about that. We don't have time to to deal with it because our time is, has already gone. I don't know how that time goes so fast on Wednesday night. But uh, we'll pick up there in verse number 20 uh, again next time.